Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt. My name is also Matt. Matt, it's almost Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Yeah? We made any plans? I mean, I can't give them away to you quite yet. I want you to be surprised. Oh, for me? Uh, oh, I meant your uh, wife. Oh, no, no. Um, no, nah, not yet. I'm still okay. working on it. Matt, for new listeners, what is it we do here on Finest Work Songs? Yeah, thanks for asking, Matt. Uh, here on Finest Work Songs, we just love to talk about classic albums, and it might be a classic album that's universally acclaimed, you know, something like a Nirvana Nevermind. Okay. You know, something that everyone... Oh, Rick Astley. Well, yes, Rick Astley. Yeah. Hoobastank. You know, something. <laughs> I'm sure we'll do a Hoobastank. Oh, at least one. Have a pod, yeah. Yeah, we just really like to talk about great albums. Sometimes it's something that one of us really loves and we're trying to convince the other one about how great it is. Other times it's uh, something maybe we haven't even thought about being classic. And that might be the case today. We've got a, a guest with us today. Uh, we'll get to it a little bit. And we're going to talk about, a, for me at least, a, a kind of a deep cut album that I'm really excited to talk about today. Before we jump into the music, Matt, why don't we hear from our Finest Work fans? Yeah, we really do this for the Finest Work fans. And you're all quite good at engaging with us and sending us emails and you know, sending us questions and matters of the heart. We really enjoy getting those. And if you want to send one to us, you can send them to us at finestworksongs at gmail.com. And we engage with you guys in a little segment we call Kenny Gmail. This Kenny Gmail is in reference to our Midnight Oil Blue Sky Mining epipod. Someone from down under. Probably addressing like the plight of marginalized people yeah. or the environment. This person writes, artificial intelligence creates content for the site. No worse than a typewriter. You can also use it to write articles. 100%. Uniqueness. And it's probably an AI bot that wrote <laughs> that, that. wrote that? Yeah. Full circle. Are they going to have AI podcasts? I'm asking for a friend. Just like, oh, yeah. they're going to have people like that you could partner with to do. You just type in a, a few like key yeah. phrases like you too and Kenny G. <laughs> Benson Mule Days. Melting Pot. And it just spits out like 45 minutes content. of good content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's say that you like something and you want more of it. Mm -hmm. Court McCarthy is sure. my favorite author. Oh, Arthur. <laughs> Dudley Moore is my favorite Arthur. B's my favorite Arthur. B's your favorite Arthur. Kurt Dudley McCarthy's Moore's. my favorite author, you know, and he's very old. Just published his last two novels, unless something crazy happens. But I'm wondering if AI gets to the point where, like, write a story about a kid who grew up in West Philadelphia, you know, born, born and raised. raised. Yeah, sure. Yep. Had to move to Beverly Hills in the style of Cormac McCarthy. I'm sure it could be done. Yeah. It's almost like fan fiction. Right. In a way, you can get more of the universe. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm pro AI. Thanks for that email, bot. We just love getting these these real genuine emails like this that we can share with the Finest Work fans. So again, if you've got one you want to send our way, email us at finestworksongs at gmail.com. Matt, who do we have with us today? We are super excited today to have as our guest, Danny Rosen. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I hear you guys. There he is. Yeah. Danny, thank you for being here today. Glad to be here to uh, be mattering with the Matt's oh. music mattering. Oh, nice. Yeah. You guys, yeah. your name is embedded in the word matter. And smatter. See, my older sister never took that approach. Mm. It was more like rhyming it with words like fat, fat. and rat. Fat Matt's the easy one. Yeah. I got that a lot, even though like I was about 105 pounds and 6'2". Danny, you and I met last summer through our mutual friend here, Matt. Within five minutes of meeting you, <laughs> I found out you were a big Elvis guy. You showed me around your business and you had an eight track player. You had a stack of Elvis eight tracks. We had to have you on. Yeah. We knew that, but also it just seemed like of all the music that you could talk about, which is Legion, 
mm-hmm. that it would be good to talk about Elvis. And I'm glad we stumbled into it that way too. Music from an eight track. That's legit. Yeah. You yeah. can't replicate that. No. That <laughs> Is that the most short lived or am I just unaware? How long were eight tracks around? Like that? I remember them from my childhood, but it felt like they were not around for more than like eight years or something. I always think about how they go from the home stereo to cars. Yeah. I felt like there was a very short window of eight tracks in cars before cassettes kind of took over. I don't know. I'm just glad that I have an eight track player with a lot of Elvis eight tracks that can kind of harken back to, you know, being a kid riding around in the, uh, the old station wagon, the vinyl seats, lap belts, you know, yeah, and my dad pushing in the seals and crofts and the Simon and Garfunkel (laughs) and the, was there any bread thrown in there? Yeah, no bread. bread. Okay. He wasn't a rocker like that. That must have been a really revolutionary thing that you could have an album in the car when you think back, because everything was radio. Yeah, you're not bringing your, your record player like in the car <laughs> with you. No, you know that some really rich people figured out ways to do that. Yeah. Speaking of, like you said, driving around in the car, we always like to begin with our memories. Danny, what are your memories of Elvis? It's layered because I'm old and I've been listening <laughs> to Elvis for a long time. I'll start with the world that I live in career-wise, which is branded merchandise. We've got this Elvis bust in our office, and there are these like fake, cheap plastic rhinestones that have been placed all over him, like a little bit of a shrine. Uh, someone put a brand fuel hat on him, which was kind of cool. And then there was a uh, pair of sunglasses, Elvis glasses, like from Oriental Trading Company. Gold, of course. Yep. And then someone put googly eyes on the glasses, which kind of pissed me off. But um, <laughs> it's still there and it, it works. But um, I started thinking about all the things, like the merchandising things that I've gotten through my life. The physical manifestation of the sound of the sky. I have some very interesting things. An Elvis-scented candle, which smells like sweat and regret. Um <laughs> I have these blue suede shoes, uh, salt and pepper shakers, kind of cool. Okay. Nice, uh, I nice. have Elvis shampoo, which I actually used. That's why I'm balding, I think. I'm not positive, <laughs> but um, I have banana and peanut butter flavored hot chocolate powder. Oh, I wow. I don't like banana. I know, blasphemy. Okay. So I haven't tried it, but if y'all want to hit that later. Sounds actually delightful. It actually, I think, I bet is. And then I have this thing in my pocket, which I'm going to show you guys. This is an authentic uh, pocket knife. On one side, and on the other side, it's Elvis Presley. The, the year that he died, 1977, is this pocket knife. I, I bought it for my daughter at a flea market not too long ago, and that will be hers. My daughter's name is Brooke Presley Rosen. Okay. She was born to Elvis. Um, that's all right, Mama. <laughs> but what was she conceived to? Oh, gosh, that's great. <laughs> this is some hollow notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But... Uh, but I think my earliest memory was 1974. I, had, I brought this album, the uh, Worldwide 50 Gold Awards, you know, hits album, which is, is four albums that. in here. It's falling oh. apart because we played the hell out of it. 1974, my parents bought it as a Christmas gift for the family. And I remember going to the basement and crushing the needle on, on the turntable and playing this thing incessantly and singing and doing the Elvis Pelvis dance. And yeah. We had dance parties in there. I was seven years old. So, I mean, yeah. we were the party players. Yeah. Uh, so, those are my memories. That's those are awesome. great memories. That's fantastic. Matt, what's your memory of Elvis? You know, my parents weren't like hugely into music. So, it was just kind of whatever was on oldies radio stations. Became very familiar with just Elvis in general. But then when I was working at Blockbuster Music after college for a little part time, it was probably a new version of Elvis live at Madison Square Garden. It gave me a newfound appreciation for the energy that Elvis brought to his stage performances, to his live performances. It's just like, okay, I get it. I get why he was so big after really listening to that, that album. What about you, Matt? My dad's an Elvis guy. 
Okay. And my mom was a teenager and just loved him. So I grew up with Elvis being revered. That 50s rock was really a big part of my childhood, which I'm really thankful to my parents for. But it was always that early Elvis. Mm -hmm. That was the one. And so it wasn't until later as an adult, driving cross country with a good friend, Mike Ball, and he was playing some of that 70s Elvis. And I remember specifically driving through Memphis Mm -hmm. and across the country. We went to Graceland. It was closed. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to go experience the wonder of that, but I, I hope to make it back someday. But with that memory, I thought I knew Elvis. Yeah. And then later it's like, well, there's a whole there's a whole other Elvis yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, that gets made fun of, mm-hmm. but you forget about how good it was. Again, thinking back to like the early Elvis being kind of tame or lame to a kid of my age. I think another thing that brought home his importance to me was, and I think we've talked about this before, Matt, rattle and hum. Larry Mullen Jr.'s at Graceland, and he's talking about Elvis. I don't think I've ever seen Larry Mullen Jr. smile. He's tearing up. He's crying at the grave of Elvis. And I was like, okay, like, there's more to this than just shaking his hips and making the girls scream. That was an important moment for me (laughs) in my appreciation of Elvis, for sure. I hit Graceland uh, on the 75th birthday. I went up there with my brother in a beat-up old van, and we didn't have seats in back, and we we picked up a friend along the way, and he put a lawn chair in the back, and I remember we had bungee cords he had to hold onto, and we turned, and we promised each other that we would all eat like Elvis would eat uh-huh. uh, during this, you know, <laughs> we, so it was, we all, we had gut bombs on the way home, it was just barbecue and beef, and they had this big birthday cake, and Time Magazine was out there, and, and you get this sense that this guy, and all of his money and fame, he stayed close to his, like, kind of simple roots, like, you get a Graceland, yeah. it's not that big a deal, but that little kid yeah. from Memphis who walked into that recording studio became a rebel, and all these genres of music, I mean, I, I know this album crosses many of those genres it's just he he was a pioneer yeah let's kick it off only the strong survive i remember my first love affair somehow or another the whole darn thing went wrong my mama had some great advice so i thought i'd put it in the words of the song i can still hear her say That just puts you in a good mood, though, that song. What strikes me, I mean, it's a different era and a different time, and so much has happened in culture from when he first started, but that's not the sort of song that he would sing back in the day. They were much more lighthearted and... Mm -hmm. Coming in the late 60s here, some of these topics mm-hmm. are going to be different. And that really fits Elvis in this, what's become known as the comeback special. My understanding of this comeback special is that after great success, then he goes in the military. Mm-hmm. And people say that it wasn't the same after that in terms of music or approach. And Colonel Parker had him doing all the movies. I like that we still call him Colonel Parker, even though <laughs> <It's a name. laughs> it's like he's not a colonel. Yeah. yeah, You know, you get to this time when he really wanted to kind of come back only the strong survive well, right? and, he, and he wanted to kind of chart his own course a little yeah. bit more than having it charted for him 
Yeah, from that perspective, it's a great one to kick it off and talk about. Have y'all seen the movie? We got to talk about the movie. I've not seen the movie yet. I have. What did you think of the movie overall? I thought it was a little long. I'll just start there. But it moved me. They did a phenomenal job with visuals and sound and even bringing some the music in from today. That was cool. I took my daughters. Mm-hmm. One fell asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brooke Presley stayed awake, uh, thankfully. I think what was interesting to me was to get their opinion of this person who they didn't know, didn't have a relationship with, is no longer on this earth. I think the sentiment was that he lived a phenomenal life and just touch so many people. Your senses are exploding while you're watching this movie. Yeah. And you can't help but realize that this human has really impacted so many people and gone through such hardship to, mm, to get yeah. there. Yeah. My favorite part of the movie was his first sort of breakout performance in the auditorium. The way that they filmed it, yeah, it came as close, I think, as you could to understanding what people experienced. Because it's over the top with people falling down it was like an alien landing to those people. Mm-hmm. That's why it looks so extreme to us now. It's like, well, certainly it wasn't like that. It's like, no, not exactly like that. But we're trying to show you that for people like then, that's what it felt like. Because gotcha. yeah. if they'd just done him singing and people swooning a little bit, then you'd go, oh, I've seen that a million times. But that was the first. There's a scene in there where I think he's gotten in some trouble and for his music early days. And, and he's sneaking out i think and he's going back to like beale street Mm -hmm. i don't know where he's going but then you realize what's happening he's going back to where his roots were where he heard this black cultural music the soul that really was embedded in his conscience and he was able to pull it out in in a way that got him to where he is but he went back and found his roots i think he always stayed close to his roots throughout his entire life it does seem like there was a lot of push and pull, both from a newfound fame that no one had experienced before. So he didn't, he couldn't go talk to anyone about it. The pressures from family and crazy Tom Parker. It's so complex. I mean, you think about famous people today, especially young famous people today, mm-hmm. college athletes and how they're navigating money and fame. I mean, we're seeing that today. I think Elvis was experiencing that. Like you said, there wasn't a playbook. It's not surprising it would go the route it would go. I'm going to cry. It's a tragic tale, and it's yeah, it's hard to imagine it going another way. What song's next, Danny? How about I'm moving on? That big eight wheeler rolling down the track, and when your true loving daddy he ain't coming back, moving on. He's a rolling on. You were flying too high from one of those guys on but someday, baby, when you've had your play, you're gonna want your daddy. But your daddy will say, keep moving on, keep rolling on. You were flying too high, I'm one of those guys, so I'm moving on. Mr. Fireman, won't you please listen to me? Cause I got a pretty mama in Tennessee to keep rolling on. I keep moving on. I please listen to me, let this rattle the free and keep moving on. Move on, son.
this one's a great example of the combination of styles mm -hmm. that make up Elvis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's country, yeah. it's soul. He's got some rock in there, but he's the one who, in popular culture, who really brought that mix to the front. So many of these songs are a little old, but like not that old. A lot of the songs on this album were three, four, five years old, and he's given them new life. And so many of these songs, you know the Elvis version of it, even though someone else may have done it before. And I think it's because, Matt, like you said, he's bringing that experience of being a poor kid from Memphis. He's bringing all those things he learned on the way up and hearing the blues coming out of these, these places. And it's all baking like in a crock pot, you mm. know, that then comes out. The song in particular is almost like a throwback song, but has like new energy and vigor when Elvis does it. Some good grooves. There's a line in this that's like a foreshadowing for him. He says, uh, I had to lose everything to find out. Maybe forgiveness will find me somewhere down this road. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm moving on. Just feeling already, I mean, I know we're only, we've only talked about two songs, but there's a lot of retrospection and introspection already with this. It's it's like he's fending for himself. It's his back against the wall. He's, mm -hmm. he's again, trying to chart his own course. And that's got to take a lot of guts, especially when you've got so many people chirping in your ear. You've got priorities and you've got probably contracts and agreements and there's there's a ton of money involved and you probably feel like your hands are tied and in hindsight it's courageous to kind of go this route the uh, rolling stones did a version of this song That's wild. This 1949 song. Yeah. But then Ray Charles did it. I mean, Lou Harris got to number one on the country charts in Canada. Wow. With this. It's funny. That's an example of like a song that to us doesn't mean anything. But to them back then, it's like a song that would be recorded over and over again or sung over, like a standard almost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, I don't know why, you know? <laughs> it's a fine song. Yeah. This era of Elvis reminds me a little bit because he's now going back and singing old things. It reminds me of someone like a, a Jay-Z later in his career who would then, I don't know, maybe call back some 80s rap songs mm -hmm. or so. You know, like you've already made it to the top. It's not about like pushing and pushing and pushing with new stuff and breaking new ground and everything. There's almost just like a settling into doing what you love. Mm -hmm. And people really respond to that. Yeah. Like a respect to your mm -hmm. past. It's not anachronistic, but it's there's something there that's kind of like that. When you hear it, you know, now from so long ago, I think it, it strikes you. Yeah. Good point about Jay-Z. I like that. And he's just smiling. Yeah. And really kind of enjoying himself. Whereas before it's like, it's about the performance and you're almost like trying to earn something from people and really giving. And here he's giving, but it feels more like a give and take. Mm -hmm. All right. What's our next tune? One of the heaviest tracks is uh, In the Ghetto. As the snow flies On a cold and gray Chicago morning A poor little baby child is born in the ghetto 
and his mama cries Cause if there's one thing she don't need is another hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto Now People don't you understand the child needs a helping He'll grow to be an angry young man someday Take a look at you and me Are we too blind to see Do we simply turn our heads And look the other way Well, the world turns It's 1969, civil rights movement White guy singing the song Probably the most famous person in the world at the time mm-hmm. And singing a song about this this tragedy The poverty, the uh, black child is experiencing he's thrown into and he's trying his best to survive and and you can feel it in his voice as he sings the trouble that he feels and the importance of him putting this on this album at that time is so interesting and and of course this child in the story doesn't make it you know he ends up dying and he's calling out to his mom and, and we're reliving this and i found this little tidbit here elvis says he was going to call it the vicious circle I mean, just think about that. He couldn't find a lot of words that rhyme with circle, so he ended up being in the ghetto. Uh, but but we're living through the vicious circle today, you know? Yeah. Decades later, which is really unfortunate. So I think the impact of that song, which really made Elvis relevant in some ways again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, brought him back to this album. And taking that risk to sing that song probably makes us one of the most powerful, important tracks. He gets ridiculed for stealing black music right. quote unquote does a song like this put him in better graces because of that or or are there people who think he did that then you're not coming back from that no matter what i'm a pathological optimist so i'm just gonna hope <laughs> yeah. that there was some forgiveness and respect from the black community i think when he talked about the song years later and you felt that it was done for all the right reasons yeah very genuine i heard an interview and they were talking about Elvis and this African-American woman was talking about how much people loved Elvis. Like, mm. You know, so it wasn't yeah. just like a white artist. Right. That's kind of some of the story that gets a little bit sure. lost is that, you know, there's feelings that he stole something, then people didn't like him. It's mm-hmm. like, well, that's looking back at the time. It's like, no, everybody loved him. Yeah. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. Matt, I've got a little tie in here. Okay. It seemed like <laughs> everyone has covered this song and I did not know that. I mean, we're talking about Marilyn Manson, Dolly Parton, okay. the Cranberries, and it goes on and on. I'm just choosing a few. Yeah. Matt, let me know if you specifically, you too, Danny, but I was trying to see if Matt can recognize. <laughs> Y'all let me know if you can recognize who this is singing. As the snow flies. It's a duet. On a cold Okay, so Dude, I know who sings with it. Darius Rucker's on this. <laughs> that's what I was getting to. Uh, Is that Reba McIntyre? Reba McIntyre. Yeah, that's it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Darius. 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 It's our goal. If we could find Darius covering something. Gosh. Darius. Darius. He's everywhere. He'll sing anything. Yeah. He'll sing anything. <laughs> Oh, oh, Marilyn Manson wants to do it. Can I sing with him? <laughs> right. The only part about this song is that they repeat in the ghetto yeah. every time. Yeah. Without yeah, fail. Right. It's like just one time. Let it yeah. just breathe. Yeah. <laughs> 
twist it, turn it, you can't tear it down. Cause every minute, every hour, you'll be shaken by the strength and mighty power. can never win No, baby, you can't lick it I'll make you give in Every minute, every hour You'll be shaken by the strength and mighty power I don't love on this album that he does all the backing vocals. Mm. He's great. Yeah. And maybe it's because I have this locked in my head that this is a live show. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a disconnect. Yeah, I yeah. think that's what it is. It's, I was like, wait, how can he be doing that? Yeah. <laughs> <He's so good. laughs> yeah, that one's grindy. Yeah, that's grindy. Yeah, it's... I don't know what to say about it other than you think about hip censorship, you know, and what that was like. Oh, yeah. How they, they pan the camera up. People first saw Elvis live on TV. Mm-hmm. My mom was, I think, 14. She remembers that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And what were her 14 memories or 15 that she shared with just you? Just the black bar. Okay. It's like Beatles and Elvis Sullivan. If you saw it, you remember, but she remembers just the forbidden nature of what's... It's like, you're big enough that we have to put you on TV. But... Yeah. He's singing these kind of dirty, grindy songs <laughs> with all the Elvis conviction and power of his voice. And you think, again, he's like, he's this rebel singing this type of music that was censored and and now like music is evolving like there's just it's out of the gates yeah. i mean there's no amy winehouse there's no taylor swift mm-hmm. there's no lemmy there's no beatles there's no beatles that's and that's bob dylan john lennon's yeah. words I mean, I mean that's the thing about bob dylan too yeah, is that dude. he wanted to be elvis when yes, he started that's right so <laughs> you know everyone's like oh he went electric but like he didn't start off as like unaware of elvis Everybody wanted to be Elvis. Yeah. I'm wearing a Beatles sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. I'm a Beatles guy. Yeah. But I remember that whole like Elvis or Beatles. Mm-hmm. No, that's not a thing. Yeah. Like, why are we talking about this? Right. Right. Like, maybe it's just because they were the two biggest Beatlemania and UK, US, yeah. mm-hmm. the battle. Now comes our challenge of removing a song yeah. from an album. What is Elvis going to do? He's going to recommend his management to you. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. I've got a manager that you can use <laughs> yeah. for your career. He's, he's fine. He's great. He's a colonel. He's a colonel. <laughs> you can trust he's him. He's definitely American. <laughs> definitely American. Matt, let's start with you. Sure. What and, song would you remove? Yeah, I almost hate to say this, but the song I would remove is Power of My Love. Controversial. I mean, as a good, clean-cut boy, that song is just a little too dirty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it goes too To far. me, it seemed maybe the most anachronistic of all the songs on the album. It seems like a lot more kind of like country and blues and soul throwbacks, more of like a a paying respect to his roots. Mm -hmm. Not that this one doesn't, but this one seems so much more... To me, it seems just a tad out of place. I, I feel you, man. Yeah, but we had to. We had to share it. I, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we did. You picked a great selection of songs yeah. that represented different, absolutely aspects of Elvis. That's what made the album so great. That's true. It was everything. Danny, what song would you remove? If you oh had my to. gosh, if you had to. It's blasphemy to remove any song from Elvis. <laughs> I thought about this long and hard, and I went with "Long Black Limousine." Yeah. 
like one of the songs you hear and it's like upbeat and you love it and it's super dark and it's just a horrible, tragic story of, you know, this fatal crash and the limousine you're supposed to ride in for fame and yet you're actually in a hearse, basically. Right. It's not that it doesn't have a place here on the album, but it just took me to a place that it didn't feel yeah. Elvis-sized like right, I sure. wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Similarly for me, I had that feeling about the song that I'm going to remove, which is Don't Cry Daddy. Daddy, you still got me a little Tommy. Together we'll find a brand new mommy. Daddy, daddy, please laugh again. Daddy, ride us on your back again. Oh, daddy, please don't cry. It's him harmonizing with himself here uh-huh. that makes it even cheesier because yeah. they're both so earnestly, right. the two Elvis is singing, Daddy will find another mommy. I'm like, come <laughs> yeah. on, man. What? Yeah. Now it's time for your senior quote. Senior year, you've got your picture and you get to leave a quote behind. Matt, what is your senior quote? My senior quote from this album would be from the song, I'm Moving On. That big eight-wheeler running down the track. I mean, your true loving daddy ain't coming back. (laughs) But someday, baby, when you've had your play, you're going to want your daddy. But your daddy will say, keep moving on. Keep rolling on. That's for all those haters. Yep. Who wanted none of this in high school. I was going to say all the girls are like... You know, you're just throwing cold water, like, yeah. calm down, ladies, yeah, I'm cool. moving on. Yeah. We were talking about your song move. It's that whole, like, daddy. Like, a, yes. there's a lot of yes. daddy. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's... Tell us you're from the South without, without telling us telling. you're from yourself. <laughs> yeah. Say the word daddy. Yeah. Diddy. Diddy. <laughs> Diddy. Uh, what about you, Danny? Yeah, I'm going to go from humor to, to heavy. Oh, boy. Yeah. I, I pulled it from In the Ghetto. Mm-hmm. At that time in my life, I was 18. I'd gotten a lot of trouble. I, I had to do a lot of community service. Mm. And some of the service projects I did really opened my eyes to really what the world was all about. I went to a pretty nice high school and didn't see what really life was all about. And those service projects I did opened my eyes. And I think maybe I was just becoming a little more socially conscious at that time. And so the one I picked was people, don't you understand? The child needs a helping hand or he'll grow up to be an angry young man someday. Mm. Take a look at you and me. Are we too blind to see? Do we simply turn our heads and look the other way? You know, it's important to think about that. Not just your senior year quote, but every single day. Well, I, I feel like a schmuck. Yeah, sorry about <laughs> well, that. Well, I have to and, follow it. <laughs> yeah, No, that's good. That and that's good. neat. That That's kind of the hope of community service and stuff is that there would be an impact beyond just right. like, let me get this out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And that sounded like it had one. No doubt. My senior quote would be from Long Black Limousine. You finally had your dream. Yeah, and you're riding. <laughs> yes. Uh, out That's, of context. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It works. Yeah, it, it works. works. But, you know, just that sort of like, what does that even mean? Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, it sounds like a journey lyric or something. Uh-huh. And like, that's what I'd put. That's a good one. Yeah. That is good. Of all sorts of spectrum. That's right. Just like Elvis. Yeah. Just like Elvis. Just like Elvis. Just like Elvis. All right. If you want to roll. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. No. Again, it's my schedule. No, no, no. You got to go to a funeral, right? Oh, no. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. 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 Thanks for having me. No, dude. See you, Matt. Listeners, hands down, Danny loves live music more than you and more than anyone that I've ever met. And you may be thinking, like, well, I go to a lot of shows. Just trust me. Follow him on Instagram and you will see. So you and I are a little bit different in that you hear music differently than I do. You know music, you know how to play music, all the back vocals and the channels and the instrumentation 
and the composition. I don't know any of that stuff. I've tried to play music before. I failed at the recorder in fourth grade. <laughs> I can't play it, but I can feel it. And where I feel it most is in a live music setting where a band is playing for 10 or 10,000 and they're gutting it out on stage and they're leaving it all up there for themselves and for their fans. You know, I'm not tall, so I work my way up to the front. I often leave my friends who I come to the show with because I'm there for the music and I'll be by myself at the front, really feeling the impact of everything, seeing it and hearing it. The other day I saw Danielle Ponder, great musician. You'll hear about her one day, up and coming. The bass beats, I could, it, my body was just moving. I just hope I can continue the stamina to do this and I don't get divorced over going to see live music. <laughs> my wife has given me a lot of latitude through the years and I love her for that. Yeah. I have wondered that, just that there seems to be some, a human connection that you're feeling or an energy or like a passion. Yeah. I get are, goosebumps when, yeah. I, when I feel the right music. I mean, I, it's a visceral, emotional thing. I cry. It yeah. shows. Danielle made me cry. I didn't know what was going on. And you weren't there for her, right? No. She was an opening act. Man, how many opening acts have you seen that have moved you or that have later gone on? That's exactly right. To become like much bigger. So true. Or the band that you no one went to see uh, at the poor house with 20 people, Greta Van Fleet. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, at Lumineers, I went and saw them at 506 or 70 people there. Oh my gosh. Back in the day. I mean, yeah. we've all got stories like that. But the key is never miss the opening band. What you're seeing is maybe the next big thing, but you're supporting music. You're yeah. just supporting the musicians. And there's this battle you and I know about that's art and commerce. They kind of war against each other. And most musicians are doing it for the art. They like to make money. But they don't necessarily, they're not business or marketing gurus. But I think that's where we come in as the fans. I think mm -hmm. we support them. We buy the merch. We tell them we love them. We tag them. We share their music with the fans. We listen a gazillion times on Spotify so they can get 38 cents. Exactly. All of that. Yeah. Can you do this? What's your favorite show? I always have kind of two answers to this question. The first answer is the last show I saw. And then I can talk a little bit about Band Together, this thing that yeah, is please. amazing in our community that... It's live music, raising funds for a different need in our community every year to the tune of a million dollars every single year. Wow. And so we change it up. And so I think about not only my experience at a live experience at a show uh, at Band Together, where we're using music as this vehicle to address social impact issues, bring community together, and be an instrument of helping a community in need. But I tell the story of Trampled by Turtles. They were playing after the kids at Kids Notes were playing, who were the charitable recipients of this organization. Uh, it was part of the El Sistema Project, and they are um, kids that are learning how to play instruments through schools or program in schools. And these are kids who are on free and reduced lunch programs. They're kids that don't speak English very well. Their parents don't speak English at all in many cases. In doing this, their grades are improving. They're getting confidence. Their parents are now being a little bit more embedded into the school programs, mm -hmm. which is important. And so I was standing out in the crowd, which I like to do sometimes, be hoi polloi, you know, not be the guy on the stage with the big fake check for a million dollars, and just um, watching these kids play. And there was a, a gentleman next to me who was crying. I asked him if he was okay, and he said, that's my son up there. It was, it was tears of pride. And he said, you know, I just, I never thought my kid would be on a stage like this, opening up for Trampled by Turtles, 6,000 people in downtown Raleigh. He didn't know who I was. I just kept asking these questions. He said, I thought when I was growing up, I felt like I needed to go play basketball or football. He said, now there's, you know, there's more opportunities out there. And Kids Notes provides this. And obviously Band Together was a part of bringing 
kids' notes to the forefront and the stage in this way. And it just made me feel like maybe it wasn't the favorite concert. It was the impact of the music that Band Together had brought that had evolved a community. And just in this one small instance, this father and son in a way that just would maybe be a positive ripple effect into their lives forever. That's amazing. Long answer. You are one of the architects, founders, and driving forces behind Band Together. You call yourself an eternal optimist, right? I call myself a pathological optimist. Yeah, which is not always a good thing, by the way. Here's what I want to say to that. Band Together and some of the work that you've done in the community and through your work is not just the work of an optimist, because without action, it's just hopes and dreams. You have an incredibly generous spirit, and I think it's the two of those together, optimism and generosity, that allows you to make things happen. Because if you were one or the other, you give, but why? Yeah. I don't know. I just think that that's really cool. And one thing I love, whether it's at a party or the times that we've interacted and the impact you've had on my job search, it's the two of those. I really admire that. And I'm really thankful for things like being together. Thank you for saying that. I would add one more word to that. Mm -hmm. I think rebellion, being a little bit rebellious in nature, where people say, no, you can't do this. Having that attitude of, you know, the confidence to push forward in in a way that maybe is a little bit unique and fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll share the story and you know the story, obviously, and I've relayed it back to you, but I'll share with people listening. So I left my job last June of almost 20 years after co-founding this church in downtown that started as a very small endeavor and now is very large. That was a hard thing to do for a million reasons. Then I'm working with a friend, Josh Dix, who if you were making a transition, reach out to me because I want to connect you to him. And I go through that and I'm going, okay, what skills do I have? What experience do I have? What are things I want to do? And so I had a few different paths that I was looking at. And Matt introduced me to you. You had listened to the podcast. So we talked about the podcast and you just said, would you want to do podcasting? I don't remember exactly what I said, but the feeling was, well, that's not a thing. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, do I want to watch TV for a living? Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's not a thing. And so I was just honored by that. But also, that's where that rebellion comes in and the optimism is that you're not limited by just like, oh, you can't get paid to do that. Probably six weeks later or so when I had a conversation and that led to a job where I'm producing and working with podcasts. Going through a job transition, you just don't know who you're going to meet and the impact that people are going to have. I will never forget that. And also, because then when I had that conversation with someone and they started talking about it, I just thought, holy cow, maybe he was right. I was limiting myself and just the world around me to what's possible. So I will always be thankful for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think maybe just knowing the work that you and Matt have done in this podcast series and how incredibly talented you both are, but knowing that you're the person behind the scenes mixing it up and making it as tight as it ends up being, you have so many skills. And maybe it takes somebody just outside to say, hey, like, do you know how talented you really are? Hmm. Like, you should go for it. Like, you are really good. And imagine if, you know, a company got behind you and gave you the resources and and the the reach to do more work, especially with something that's so important to you and your family. Mm-hmm. Um, now you've got something that, you know, is purpose-driven as well as, a you know, an income doing something you enjoy. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Honored to get to know you better as well. And um, can't wait to look back at how many epipods you guys have put out over the next, you know, 10 years or so and and what you've covered, the new, the old. Yeah. It's just so enjoyable. I I hope you guys keep it going. Thanks. And that's a good reminder to everybody out there. Like, I didn't come up with this, but someone said, like, no one suffers from being too encouraged. (laughs) 
and you're right, we can easily forget sort of maybe things that we're that we're good at or that can make an impact. Yep. Well, Matt, Lael, you haven't said a word for like, are you asleep over there? <laughs> Wake up, Matt. Golly, man. I swear. He's usually so talkative. Is he on his phone? Danny, I know that we talked about Elvis and so much more, but thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Matt. Everyone, thanks for listening. Again, follow us on social media at Finest Work Songs. Go into iTunes or Spotify. Lael never says this. Give us some stars or give us like, leave a comment. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. That's why he does this stuff. We'll be back soon with another Epipod. Danny, what are you going to take us out on today? Any Elvis song that you want? Oh my god! Any song. I mean, let's do Can't uh, Help Falling in Love, an ode to my wife who I, I love so much. Wise men say Only fools rush in But I can't help Falling in love with you Our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat. This track is called Radio, and you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. And check out any upcoming shows if you are in the Raleigh area. They are on Facebook at Medium Heat Music.